and welcome to another episode of Fully Automated, an Occupy IR Theory podcast. So welcome to part two of episode 26. This is, of course, our long, 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 long interview with Adam Proctor, but it's also a long overdue interview with Adam Proctor. And honestly, uh, there was just so much good stuff to talk about. Uh, it really did seem wasteful uh, to try to cram it all into one episode. And uh, and so this is a kind of a, a slightly more sizzle-based uh, episode. Uh, we, we, we go um, into a more conversational place here, um, possibly a little less structure, a little more back and forth. But um, just to sort of um, give you an appraisal of, of sort of the function of the two episodes. In the, in the first episode, we were definitely looking back, right? We were looking um, over uh, the sort of genealogy, the origins, the history, the controversies of four years of Dead Pundit Society. And uh, you can hear Adam talking about a number of issues in that first episode um, from freedom of speech, cancel culture, race essentialism, all the various things that he has uh, sort of dusted it up over um, in that show uh, in in the last four years. Now, uh, moving into part two, we're going to be turning our gaze more to the present day and uh, to the future. Uh, We are going to jump in the conversation here in just a minute. Uh, You'll catch us right in the middle of debating the post-Bernie moment and the question of whether or not we should swallow, as it's sometimes uh, referred to, the, the, the black pill. Right. So I'm going to push Adam a little bit here uh, on a slogan that he's been using lately. And this is this idea of the uh, taking up residence in the basement of the vampire's castle. Now, listeners to this show will know already, I suppose, that that is a modification of Mark Fisher's vampire's castle hypothesis. Uh, If we cast our mind back to 2013, you'll remember Mark Fisher came out with this essay, Exiting the Vampire Castle, noting how in late capitalism, the left um, confronts obstacles emanating not only from its foes on the other side of the ideological equation, but also from within, right, from its own tendency to engage in self-destructive behavior. And part of the problem Mark Fisher said anyway, is that the hyper-individuation of social life under neoliberalism has basically been really successful. And so successful, in fact, that the left has forgotten um, the importance of building collective power uh, in order to achieve uh, political change. Hence this recent uh, paradoxical descent into culture war and performativity. So uh, addressing this critique, you're going to hear us talk uh, early in this uh, episode, in this part of the episode, um, uh, about the importance, the early importance of Angela Nagel's critique of all of this, um, her particular stance on subculture, 
and the tendency in subcultures to compete for the accumulation of cultural capital, you know, whether that be on 4chan or on Twitter or what have you. And then uh, later you're going to hear us move on to address this black pill question. And the, the key, Adam notes, and he's consistent on this, um, in his in his in his episodes in his in his podcasts, uh, the key's consistent on this that the 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 key is for us all to try to take measure of the goals that we want the left to accomplish, and then try to envision what the left would have to look like in order for those goals to be achieved. So I think that's going to be the real contribution of this episode. And then um, later uh, uh, later on in the episode, you're going to hear us um, sort of shift into a more conversational mode. We're going to look at the post-2008 uh, delinking of the financial economy from the productive economy and the threat potentially of a return of austerity. <laughs> Did it ever go away? Uh, but a return of austerity in the aftermath of the coronavirus pandemic. And then finally, the question of what the left is today, um, specifically focusing on the state of the left media in general, and also a critical uh, conversation about the Patreon model, the Patreon model of left podcasting in particular. So lots to look forward to here. I have to say it was really great to to spend this much time talking with Adam. Um, he's a great guy and um, looking forward to uh, his show uh, getting up and go, up and running again and uh and getting those good podcasts coming our way soon so yeah let's go uh a lot to get through here and it's time to jump in So anyway, um, but then, you know, uh, having left that part of the um, the conversation behind, then we moved on to talk about some of the major themes that have really characterized the show, the major contributions of the show that I mean, and let's be real. Um, I think there's a lot of listeners to this show who listen to your show as well. They will know as well as I do that, um, you know, there are certain terms, theoretical debates uh, concepts that are commonplace now um, in the pages of Jacobin and, uh, you know, certain guests that appear on many, many other podcasts now that, you know, really, in a sense, were, were debuted, I think, on your show, much as we said in this in the first half at, at, at the expense of yourself, because, of course, these things are controversial. And in, in our in our glorious left Twitter sphere, these these things are not always received kindly. But, you know, here we are looking back on four years of DPS, and we can say with no um, doubt in our hearts that, um, you know, uh, you were one of the people that really brought uh, state theory, I think, uh, into a, a popular discourse in, in, in the, the online left space. Um, your uh, conversations about uh, racial essentialism, I think, have been very formative for many people. Uh, you've given us a familiarity and acquaintance with... Um, names of scholars and their arguments which uh, i mean just i would i would personally have never encountered were it not for your show um but um moving on now into the second half of the show um one of the things i think i caught you saying towards the end of uh, our conversation there about greece was that it's it's too late now now i i think over a couple of beers adam i could persuade you 
to to fess up that that's just not true. In fact, now now okay, there's a popular parlance uh, these days, uh, the phrase uh, the black pill, right? And I, I guess there's a number of different nuggets that we can um, address here. Uh, one is the um, question that I think I heard you um, and Ben Burgess present, uh, Matt Chrisman, not so long ago, a few weeks ago, you had him on your show. One of the best shows I've heard uh, with you guys in a while. I really enjoyed that one. It was nice to hear you uh, talk with Chrisman, who's um, a unique Chapo voice, shall we say, quite an idiosyncratic guy. <laughs> Um, watch a couple of his, his YouTubes. It's been very interesting to see his intellectual formation, um, during, especially this COVID moment, which is something I want to ask you about later on. But, um, all of this sort of presents to me, um, you know, uh, the, a number of questions, you know, uh, one of the themes of that show at Matt Matt Chrisman was logging off in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'd love to ask you, uh, your thoughts on that and what that means here at this moment of despair at the end of the left, as it were, we have friends, um, they're great guys. I love their show, uh, the, the Bunga Bunga society, where they are pretty much convinced that the populist left moment is over. I don't know when you say the left is over mm -hmm. or that it's too late for the left, that you're quite taking their position or you're taking more the Matt Chrisman position that uh, what what actually needs to happen, how I, I almost hear him saying something more like, look, we have to slow it down now for a minute and reflect and think about what the next moves are. Um, so when you say it's too late now, are you the black pilled bunga bunga version of this or are you more Matt Chrisman style? Um, let's slow it down. Let's meditate. Let's reflect think about what the next buttons are that we have to press here. Um, yeah, I'm definitely team Chrisman, um, primarily because I'm a Marxist, not an idealist. Hey, -oh, shots fired. Okay. Teasing. Glad this is a B side, <laughs> baby. Teasing. Uh, Phil yeah, is listening the to this. The Bunga boys. Uh, no, I've had them on my show. I've been on theirs. Uh, yeah. you know, whatever. I, I hope, I hope there's no ill will and uh, nothing I would ever say, no, but, uh, no, no. I mean, I, Alex is a great guy. And, and, and when we have, I think we have a productive, uh, conversation back and forth, um, yeah. uh, shots across the bow, but, but I, yeah, but I, 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 but I mean that I am a Marxist, not an idealist. And I do think the post, uh, post left, the quote post left that only really exists in online spaces, mm -hmm. um, is, is an idealist, uh, response to, to, a, to, uh, uh, the materialist crisis, of like left deficits over the past, uh, you know, certainly the past three or four years, but, but going back decades. Um, whereas, you know, Chrisman, I'm, I'm, I've been team Chrisman for a very long time. When I say, mm -hmm. when I say it's too late, I mean, it's too late now, right? Obviously mm -hmm. Bernie lost, right? We, mm -hmm. we didn't have the capacities, uh, to produce this political revolution, this kind of bottom up, uh, democratic to begin, uh, this democratic transformation into, into, into a, a post-capitalist society, something that I've, I've talked about on my show. I mean, I had, um, that kind of transatlantic left series, mm -hmm. uh, the democratic, uh, right. uh, uh, you know, transition democratic economies. Um, I had, I had several names for that, for that series, but I had on the likes of, uh, Joe Guinan and, uh, such and, a good uh, episode. Uh, Hillary uh, Wainwright. Wainwright, Hillary Wainwright of, of Red Pepper and people thinking about how to uh, start producing um, participatory democratic societies now, right? Not not in a prefigurative way, but starting that now in order to start building the capacities, the raw materials that will be required uh, to, to go deeper into anything that looks uh, remotely like socialism. And 
in the midst of the Corbin moment, in the midst of the Bernie wave, uh, those things were all uh, really sort of active and on the table. But much like Syriza, uh, what we talked about on the, the quote A side, the, the part one of this, much like Syriza, we, we started too late and needed more time. Um, and, and we needed more time and, and more than just more time, we needed a different approach. Um, and, uh, I really do fear that, you know, so the way that I conceptualize it now without getting into the kind of like wither post leftism or wither post socialism is the populist left moment over. Could we even appropriately characterize that as a populist moment? Or is it something that dare I go after someone as brilliant as Anton Yeager, or is it something more explicitly as, um, a sort of half-assed abortive democratic socialist moment because that's what I think it was, right? Because the leaders of this, the the real uh, banner carriers are not like milquetoast populists. They're fucking democratic socialists. They're in many cases Marxists and they mean it. Uh, so so what does it mean? So what we're really suffering from is not a kind of a milquetoast, wishy-washy populist moment that just didn't have the stomach for it, right? What we're really dealing with is a really like well-defined and, 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 and even heroic in, in some instances, uh, democratic socialist left that has failed to, um, uh, permeate society adequately and build the capacities that are going to be required in order to go beyond, in order to go deeper than a, a sort of uh, mere populism. And so I think when you conceptualize our failure like that, it, it, uh, it, it, it's less cynical. You, you know, your, your analysis is less cynical. Um, and it's more rooted in our own failures, right? And I think, you know, and I've already gone hard on the Bunga Boys, and I hope, again, they, they, yeah, they see I, this no, as constructive I, I, criticism. I, I think they'll take it in good um, faith. Um, it, it's, it's that, you know, it's that old stupid uh, saying where, like, you know, anytime you point the finger, you've got four pointing back at you or whatever. At least at least three. I don't know. I can't turn my thumb that way. But, you know, you know how this, the, uh, the old saying goes. And, and the left is always willing to point the finger, but they're not willing to criticize themselves, are they? As though we aren't um, active participants in all of this along along the way, as though we are not, as though our fate is not hopelessly intertwined with the fate of humanity and more specifically the broad left and, and what we were or were not able to win and argue for, you know. And so when the left goes wrong, I, I, I don't look at them as though like, oh, look what they did. I think of it as like, fuck, I failed. I failed to persuade enough people. I failed to build enough institutions, you know, institutional capacity to overturn that hegemony on the left that, that produced that inadequacy, right? My show failed to do this. My participation on the left failed to do that. Um, and so in a sense, like you take it harder that way. And I think there's a sort of a psychological splitting that takes place when, when we do as what Megan Day said on Twitter some months ago is quote, third party, the left, right? There is no, there's no left to quote third party, right? We can't other ourselves from the left and then criticize the left from that vantage point because we are in the left. We're all in the left and our fate <laughs> rises or falls um, with that, that, you know, that, uh, that collective. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, too many leftists aren't looking at their own um, role or lack of a role. And maybe that comes from a deep cynicism where they don't even expect to have much of a role. They're just sort of um, commentators without um, – without their hands in the, in the process in any meaningful way. Um, I've never accepted that fate. I've always sort of seen what I'm doing as a direct intervention in a sort of political and strategic universe. Um, so how do you walk that line, Adam? Because I think that's such an yeah. interesting point you just raised. Uh, and I, I can tell you're speaking from your experience, but um, 
you know, I, 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 I don't know how you'll receive this, but uh, I mean, I think it, it wouldn't surprise you if I said that I think there are people out there who would say that you yourself were probably someone who in the earlier days of your show might have been seen popularly as someone third partying the left. But I, I wanted to ask you about this kind of balancing act between being a left iconoclast on the one hand, and then this other phrase that I, I mentioned it in the first half of the show, and I'm going to ask you to kind of drill down on it now, because I think it's an intellectual contribution that we need to be grappling with. Um, th th this, this balancing act between being a left iconoclast and then this other move that I think we've seen some making people who you've even previously worked with, um, uh, where you, where you end up taking up residence in the basement of the vampire castle. Now there's a lot to unpack there and I, I don't want to be the host that just like goes on and on. People know no, I've spoken do. about Mark Fisher here before in the show, but no, please do explain that. So I, so I don't have to recall oh, that essay that was so formative to me, but the essence of the vampire castle and all the rest of it. Uh, yeah, well, I suppose the vampire castle essay by Mark Fisher comes out of uh, this moment where uh, Russell Brand, the British comedian, uh, was uh, being, at, to, to use the contemporary phrase, cancelled or in the process of being cancelled for taking up a position, which which actually I think um, Mark Fisher was very much in, in, in respectful of and, and uh, if if hesitatingly in agreement with, which is uh, Russell Brand saying that, like, look, there's a, there's a real problem here. Um, we're being asked to vote for um, a, a shit sandwich. And... Um, you know, he's like, why would you vote to legitimize um, effectively a, a false choice? And uh, the, it, it wasn't especially controversial uh, what Russell Brand was saying. It was more the fact that it was Russell Brand that was saying it and people were kind of um, normies, to use the phrase, uh, were really jumping on board and sharing uh, the clip, the famous clip with him and Jeremy Paxman being interviewed, or him, Jeremy pa Paxman of the BBC interviewing Russell Brand, and, and Russell Brand being very um, idiosyncratic and, and funny in the process. And um, I, I think this this uh, backlash uh, against, uh, by the left, or from the left, um, to condemn Russell Brand for having done various politically incorrect things in his comedic career um, was a bit too much for Mark Fisher. And so it uh, motivated him to write this famous essay called The Vampire Castle, which I think people like you, me, um, fall back on a lot because it is, um, it is the good faith rebuttal to so much of the the cancel culture that dominates our moment now what i was asking you in the question that i was originally presenting to you there a moment ago was something that i think you've put a unique spin on this is your unique contribution to this argument which um is when we start to see the other shoe to drop how do we avoid as left iconoclasts you know because mark fisher is passed away now and uh and that's regrettable but he's not around anymore to kind of update his argument and so the, the, as i said the other shoe drops how do we as left iconoclasts avoid blackpilling ourselves and kind of almost like becoming so intolerant of this cancellation culture that we in a sense start to depart the left proper um what keeps us in the fight to steer the ship 
to to correct the course of the left that 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 it moves in the direction that's consistent with our good faith goals and principles while refusing the temptation to to just throw up your hands and um take the left only on the basis of its current expression because if you if all you knew was the ba- the left on its current expression um you would you would probably be incredibly frustrated you know but um i think a lot of us refuse that temptation and i i wanted to but but you're the one I think that um, with this term, with this modification of this term, is really kind of zooming in on on something unique here. So I wanted to give you a chance to to talk about it. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I really like your articulation of that. I mean, you did a very uh, that was good. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever I've ever put it like that exactly. Um, which is always you know the, the the strength of having somebody else try to articulate from the outside like what you're doing because you know I'm I'm being led by intuition, whereas you're having to actually describe what you're seeing. Um, which is often a much more, you know, uh, much more clear, like, comes out with a lot more clarity than my sort of ambling about in the dark and just sort of running, running on feeling. Um, and, and, but I think you, you exactly, that's exactly what you said. Right. And so uh, this, from the start of the show in 2016, 17, where, um, I've always looked at, 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 uh, left, uh, sort of, I don't know, left, um, thinking, organizing is this tr- trying to like, and I get this a lot from Panitch and Gendon, right? The work that they put in uh, post 2000 and even before 2000 was that all of their work was speaking to and towards a left that is not yet in existence. Um, and so calling forth the left that must exist if this is to happen. Um, and, and so you saw Gendon writing about uh, the, the necessity of building a socialist party as early as 2004, who the fuck was talking about it building a socialist party in 2004? Uh, but he's talking about um, the necessity of, of, of building a subjectivity and, and the limitations, even though Gendon himself is a trade union man uh, by career and, 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 and his whole uh, life was uh, built inside the trade union movement. He's now retired. And when he retired, he was given a, a, a brief appointment at York to do some writing and thinking alongside Leo. And, and that, and he chose, you know, the topic he chose after spending his life in his, uh, in the trade union movement, it was, is how trade unionism is necessarily, uh, and structurally sectoral. Therefore it cannot be the vehicle for socialist transformation because they are, uh, because trade unions are, um, sort of, if you will, slaves to their members and the direct needs of their of, of that sort of the sectoral dynamics of those workers, which means at times being in direct competition with other sectors or other firms inside of a sector, right? And so, what we need to transcend that structural sector sectoralism of of trade unionism is is a party, a socialist party. It's the only way to do that. And so, in two thousand, early two thousand, Sam Gendon is writing about, look, like there is no. No raw materials for a fucking. I mean, we, we're talking about Dennis Kucinich was the standard barrier for radical <laughs> politics in North America at that time. Okay, yeah. Dennis Kucinich, yeah. and uh, you know, I don't know, um, uh, Bob Avakian, maybe, right? You know, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and so, yeah. Uh, but he's saying, you know, that 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 uh, this is the left that must be in existence if we are to dot 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 right. If we are to do the thing that that the structural analysis of political economy and, and power and all the rest of it is, is, is to be overcome. And so for me, you know, I guess like I'm always sort of calling a left into being that may or may not exist right now, which I guess to some could, could 
seem like iconoclasm when there is an existing left, right? When there is an existing organization, an entity like DSA, for example, um, you know, to, to say like, well, you're not in the trenches of DSA. You're, you're an iconoclast. You're ignoring the work that's being put in by these other people. Um, you know, uh, to which I reply, I respond, you know, I, I did my, I put in my time as a soldier. Everyone should spend some time as a soldier. Everyone should. Uh, it's, it's critical. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely critical. And, and I'll tell you, I think the biggest problem by some of these people who I think are now trapped in the basement of Vampire's Castle is that they've never been a soldier. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't do that. So they don't understand those, de- those demands and those dynamics and what happens, um, the sort of structural contradictions of, 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 of living in that world. Um, being in a union, being a trade union militant, being a, a member of the working class, being in a party of workers is all something that's just uh, hopelessly theoretical and romanticized to them because they've never done it. And I, and I know the, and I know these people, so I know they've never done it. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to start pinning you down here. Uh, yeah, um, you know, someone who is trapped in the basement of yeah, the vampire right, right, castle right. is someone, uh, who is, um, of a mind that the left is too hopelessly romantic. Um, and, uh, and you are, um, inviting us, uh, beseeching us to, to, to seize that romantic element because we can't be leftists without it. Is that, is that, is that the contention or that might be, I think it's an abstraction of a much more concrete debate, which is that, right. I mean, and again, all abstractions are useful, but they are still abstractions. So the, the more underlying it's a provocation. Debate, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Is, is that what we haven't discussed yet is the culture war. Right. Cause that's what you're talking right. about. I mean, this is what Mark Fisher was mm-hmm. addressing. Um, this is what Anthony Nagel was addressing in kill all normies in yeah. a very productive way. I felt if not, a, if not a yeah, partial way. Um, and, and, and this is what I took up, um, in earnest, um, as everybody will know, sort of building an anti-culture warrior left. Like, what does that look like? Again, calling that left into being that doesn't yet exist, but will, but must exist if we are to succeed. Um, and, and, and so the question is fighting the culture war and the culture war is that kind of, uh, vaguely liberal anarcho, whatever zeitgeist that, uh, was inherited, um, largely brought into being in the decades where the left had retreated into the universities and built up all of these, uh, narratives built as, uh, Matt Chrisman has fruitfully called lately, uh, ships and bottles, right? Right. Right. Building ships and bottles <laughs> that, that, uh, you know, we used to build, build real, real ships, you know, in the 19 teens and twenties and into the forties and fifties and even sixties and seventies, uh, with the, with the, uh, the collapse and the defeat, the historic defeat of the trade union movement, the working class movement, uh, internationally in most places, certainly in, in North America, uh, they retreated into the university where instead of building real, real ships, uh, they built ships and bottles, um, that were preserved and packaged for, um, sophisticated, uh, you know, largely PMC professional managerial class audiences for the sake of getting tenure and um, and and developing sort of uh, small discipleships around various uh, you know radical um, luminaries, um, rather than you know transforming the working class and, and building capacities and and competing for state power. And that's you know maybe that's being uh, not so charitable to some people who would have loved to do that had they had the chance, right? It's just in the, in those moments in in the in the you know, the pits of despair around Reaganism, they didn't have that chance. However, some good old trading and salts would remind me that there was a whole hell of a lot of good shit happening in those days too, right? It wasn't just uh, – there was some you know, brave and heroic trade union struggle and even in, in the pits of despair. But anyway, I digress. We're talking about the culture war, and um, yeah. the culture war exists on the right and the left. 
It's all around us. It's the obfuscation of material uh, demands and material impulses and, and imperatives um, in favor of of these kind of uh, super structural, dare I use such a fraught sort of um, <laughs> uh, apparatus, super structural ways of sort of framing stakes and, and positions, right? And so this can take take place as a various forms of moralism, right? Um, very, and then, and then of course uh, it becomes about, uh, signaling your moralism, your various bona, bona fides, as we say, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and then, and then you just get in this, this, these ridiculous battles about, um, these obfuscated, uh, highly abstract, immaterial notions rather yeah. than the, the material facts that, that, that drive people and, and get people up and, and literally make society move. And so I can't imagine a more anti-Marxian thing than a culture war. I mean, to, yeah. so to me, right, being being a part of the, the anti-culture warrior left means like going back to Marx and, and being relentless about thinking through the material stakes of like, you know, regular ass people, as I called them once jokingly on the show and they became a, a slogan, right? Socialism for regular yeah. ass people. Yeah. Uh, what gets people up in the morning and what 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 do they care about? Um have have many socialists ever bothered to ask that question? Uh, I don't know. But uh, so so what what that that's how we started. And I and, and you know to my delight, uh, I rallied a lot of people around that idea. And it wasn't me only; it was a lot of people. Um, but uh, but what happened subsequently, and 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 this is what really makes me sad about the trajectory of some of these people. Now they paid a dear price for this. So did I, by the way. Uh, so did I, but I didn't rely on the uh, the publishing uh, industry for my livelihood. I had patrons, and I was a grad student. And you know, as you know, we have a, a far greater latitude of freedom as grad students and instructors in some ways. Even though I sure yeah. as hell never would have gotten a job if I'd have continued <laughs> in that world. So not much freedom there. Yeah. But uh, you know, other people were basically pushed out of the left. They were pushed out of publishing. They they couldn't be. They wouldn't be published anywhere. They'd been canceled. They'd been um, deplatformed, as it were. Um, they paid dear price. And I guess that when I, when I heard Angela say, Angela Nagel say in, in 2016, 17, that, that uh, the culture war is too dangerous to play with, right? Um, um, echo chambers are too dangerous and too destructive. This is what she was talking about on 4chan and then 8chan and then all of these other communities that, it, that, that these subcultures – Right. And these debates about what subculture is going back to, you know, Dick Hebdige and some of these other cultural studies types um, that <clears throat> subculture is a really dangerous thing to partake in because it develops certain. I mean, it has certain uh, nearly inescapable dynamics of right. of of the hyper, um, you know, magnification of of minuscule differences about about um, uh, about. Uh, position staking becoming one's identity that is then held up as the, you know, uh, the new terms of, of battle for the next round of sectarian fighting, infighting, um, like all of these dynamics and just the, the, the intensification of language and positions that have to be taken in order to remain relevant and interesting inside of these frenzied subcultural environments. And you can look at this in like the punk rock scene. You can look at this in like the, the quote men's rights uh, movement. You can look at this, you can look at this as left Twitter, right? Um, red flag emoji Twitter or what have you like the, um, 
the dynamics are all the same. And so when I heard Angela say that about, about the guys on 4chan um, in 2016, I, I took that as a universal truth that should be applied everywhere. That when we said don't fuck around with subculture because it will, it will ruin you, uh, like I, 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 think, I think we meant it. And so when I then saw many of those same leftists like turn around and start developing a subculture of their own, I thought to myself, my God, this isn't going to end well. This isn't going to end well because we fucking talked about this. Like we already knew uh, how this what, – what happens when you form a, a subculture and, and you displace material phenomenon <laughs> for sort of much more um, like claustrophobic and cloistered culture warrior positions for, for the purpose of like online leftist infighting. And I took part in it myself. I took part in it myself. I was seduced by it for a moment because, again, it is so fucking seductive. It's like yeah. you can lash yourself to the to to the mast of your ship uh, by all of the belts and chains in the universe, but those fucking culture warrior harpies will pull you off the off the ship. Uh, pardon the uh, you know now dated and, and sexist because that's the metaphor. nature of the game uh, <laughs> with it. I mean, it's um, I'm a broken record on this sometimes, um, but you know that that Adam Curtis uh, documentary hypernormalization is such useful fare here because. In a sense, he um, offers a hypothesis, which which we can use as a as a kind of a compass for for navigating this. Right, you you have effectively the arrival of neoliberalism in the 1970s. It uh, totally destroys um, the, the the sort of traditional pillars of leftist power. Um, those may have may or may not have been in a state of decay already up to that point in time, but neoliberalism really finishes them off. And then in the next breath, you have the arrival of um, the Californian ideology and all these sort of internet um, prophets who sell us this idea of uh, cyberspace as a kind of a new utopia where we don't have to have the left anymore because we can kind of jump through history and get to the end point without having to go through the the stages um you know we can just be free online as our as our cyber avatars and uh have flexible subjectivities and all these sorts of things and i think um what adam curtis points out so well is that in fact um while the the while the prophecy was kind of interesting the way it's actually transformed or played out is in fact that uh the the left are 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 critical thinking, so to speak, has in fact um, manifest itself in these online spaces in, in a way uh, that's very symptomatic of this defeatist moment, right? And it, it is in fact um, uh, using um, the various forms of social capital that you can generate through online media um, to accumulate um, prestige, to accumulate authority, and um, and it's become very territorial about that authority, uh, which is ultimately um, something that even left iconoclasm can be guilty of. And I think that's yeah. what you've been talking about there the last few minutes. It's a trap, um, as uh, Admiral Akbar it, it, once said. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> yeah, he was right. He was so right. He was. He was right. Um, so that in mind, then uh, you know, I think it's it's important to ask. How, you know, do you have thoughts? I'm not asking you for like the answers because I'm sure you don't have them because um, it's a really complicated question. I, I know I don't even have a, a, a fragmentary answer to this, but, uh, it, you know, taking that sort of deep sociological 
uh, pressure that's uh, that that's on the left, both manifesting itself as a result of the defeat, uh, but also then this seductive Twitter universe where, in fact, some kind of like um, Guy Debord, where he alive, I'm sure would be fascinated by, you know, this kind of idea of a spectacle uh, that, that absorbs us and um, transforms hegemony into a lovely pillow that we can lie down on and feel like we're making progress, feel very comfortable with ourselves, but actually um, losing power every moment. Uh, you know, what do we begin to do about that? Yeah. And I mean, so much of this is just intertwined. And if, you know, I don't know if people think that I sort of pick and choose things at random and become obsessed and like cringy about certain topics for no fucking reason at all. I think that this conversation gives light to all of that because you can see how they're all intermi intimately intertwined in a much larger sort of, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, artifice, whatever architecture, um, you know, and, and like, you know, cause we're going back to what we talked about a moment ago about people sort of third partying the left in themselves in terms of not taking responsibility and seeing themselves as active participants all along the way. Um, that's not to say you can't sort of distance yourself from certain existing institutions or certain existing ideologies in the left. You absolutely can and you must in order to actually be like thoughtful and critical of anything that's happening. <laughs> but that's to say that like you then also have to take responsibility for it. And, and rather than sort of sitting back in a distance in this kind of, um, you know, uh, detached hipsterish sort of uh, kind of pose of of, you know, everyone else, you know, is, are posers except for us. Right. Um you know, um, first of all, that's just childish and silly. But second of all, like, you know, you're going down with the ship, whether you fucking want, but whether you fucking recognize it or not. Right. You, you, you know, that, 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 that distanciation is only taking place in your mental, uh, you know, brain spaces. In reality, uh, you're burning on an increasingly burning planet with the rest of us. So you better fucking, you know, you better unfuck yourself and realize that very quickly. <laughs> so, um, you know, and so, you know, what we're getting then is, is, uh, a left that's just hopelessly bound up in this culture war. Um, and, and, and so we're intertwined. Um, um, we're sort of tied up between, yeah, what, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. What good is it? What good is it to be the most morally pure person rearranging yeah. the deck chairs on the Titanic as it's going down? It doesn't, I, you know, isn't, isn't that what we, isn't that what we set out to, to, to fight against? I mean, it, it's, I, and, that, and then, you know, again, like I, this is, I just have to wake up some days and just fucking slap myself. I'm like, how did we get here? How did the people who I was otherwise aligned with, or, or at least in some way, shape or form become uh, the, the, the carbon copies of the very thing that I thought we were setting out several years ago to, to, to mm -hmm. counter, right? Like mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. we were mm -hmm. countering these sort of like hyper moralist idealist, like Marxist Leninist types who thought that we should smash the state and wear Che t-shirts or whatever the fuck. And, and, you know, and that <laughs> left leftism was, a, was a style and an aesthetic, um, to be played out in our, all of our hyper fantasies of getting laid on Twitter, on left Twitter, um, and, and being cool on, on left Twitter when we were, uh, you know, increasingly alienated and alone and feeling terrible about ourselves because of our decreasing economic prospects and living in our parents' basements and find, trying to find jobs and all the rest of it. But, uh, mm -hmm. but, but that's okay. Cause that cute girl in the, with the, the with the, the left, uh, on, on left Twitter with the, with the thirst trapped, uh, thirst trap, uh, avatar, uh, you know, faved my tweet <laughs> last night at 3 AM. Right. Um, we're building <laughs> these alternate universes, right? And, and, and there's a, part, <laughs> there's a part of that. I think that's, yeah. that, that can be constructive, right? To build counter cultures. But again, uh, you can, you can point to, you know, various, uh, moments like Dan, Dan Bessner has done this on my show and elsewhere, um, mm -hmm. talking about 
the sort of uh, uh, the cultural, the countercultural apparatuses of, of like say uh, the Second International, you know, Weimar Germany, which is now like we know what happened there. That's that, but but at the time, right? There was some, mm-hmm. there's some really critical, important cultural, political, economic kind of takeaways there about what it means to build a working class movement and and a socialist party that really imbricates uh, uh, the fabric of of the, the members in existence. Um, but then that, but the, but instead of living in community and and quilting bees for 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 the women at the time, and pardon the metaphor, but hey, that was a thing. It was a thing that <laughs> happened. It was, you know, ladies' auxiliaries yeah. were things, and that happened yeah, yeah. in trade union sectors, and 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 kids going to to you know young socialist, young communist uh, camps in the summer, and rather than mm-hmm. doing that, right, we're 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 memeing all of that in in the in mm-hmm. the digital sphere. Uh, meanwhile. Uh, materially, we're living our lives the same in the same sort of, um, you know, uh, just uh, neoliberal, alienated, capitalistic ways uh, as ever. And and so, to, you know, that I think this is why the the sort of utter collapse of the left uh, during COVID has been so disheartening, because it revealed to us that like all of this th- all of this stuff that we thought we were building, um, yeah, it's kind of a paper tiger, wasn't it? In, in, in a lot of ways. And I don't mean that and I don't mean that, that there wasn't anything real or tangible that came from because absolutely there was. AOC just defended her seat. Super important. Uh, uh, so the, everyone in the squad, uh, the, the meaning the real squad, uh, the, the, tr- the, tr- the trio that is, uh, defended their seats. And, 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 and establishment Democrats have had to de- defend their se- themselves in ways that they, they haven't in, in a very long time. And that's not to say we haven't done anything. I'm certainly not saying that, but to see that that like our ability to influence outcomes, uh, just completely fucking uh, disintegrated in the in the midst of COVID. Because you have to be, you have to have capacities in the same sense that we were talking about in the Greek crisis, in order to radically alter outcomes in 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 the midst of a crisis. And we absolutely did not. Uh, we have a, a number of pithy writers and, and, and people with large Twitter following, <laughs> but that's not that's not going to get anybody uh, uh, masks or or job or on the on, on the job protections in the middle of a fucking global pandemic. And we saw how how uh, um, thin, flimsy, or even illusory our power that we've been developing was, starting in March, didn't we? Um, mm-hmm. it's just been, it's been utterly devastating for all of us. And, and I think this is, this is why, and this kind That's of a good segue, actually, this post left um, stuff really comes from that. Um, and then there's another way that we can sort of just double down and try to try to be good little soldiers in the midst of all of this. And I think both sides are wrong. I think both sides are wrong and they're coming at it from just equal, uh, but opposite, uh, ends of the same fallacy, which is to say that, you know, yeah. some of them are still living in the vampire's castle some of them um, uh, are, have just taken up shop in the basement, uh, while mm-hmm. others uh, are looking at um, the gifts bestowed upon us by the Bernie Sanders wave and saying that if we just do more of the same, then we'll get different results next time. Um, That's a great segue um, yeah. to one of the last questions I wanted to ask you now, which is how interesting it is. Uh, the, the setup for this question is that it's kind of interesting to watch the 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 post Bernie question that I think we thought we were all going to be debating this year suddenly become the coronavirus question, right? Like the political economy of the coronavirus, the advent of, I'm not sure what we should call it. I think I heard Grace Blakely put it the other day of state, the rediscovery of state capitalism. I know like the country I'm from Ireland, they just passed 
the most fiscal stimulatory budget um, in its modern history. And the, 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 the weird quirky thing about it is it was passed by a Fine Gael government, which is, you know, it's like it's like Boris Johnson passing, you know, the the, 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 the New Deal. Um, and um, obviously, so so we've got strange politics right now, strange bedfellows. Um, we're seeing strange takes on the left. I've, I've, I was fascinated a few months ago just to see, and I talked about it on this show with, um, a, f- a friend, uh, Garnet Kindervater. He was on in, um, episode 23. Um, you know, the, 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 the kind of, um, weird sort of breakdown that people like, uh, Agamben, you know, postmodern theorists, whatever you can take it for what it's worth. But this guy was very influential intellectually in university left uh, milieu to, to, to talk about, uh, the, um, war on terror and that kind of thing. Um, and now seems to be sort of fully revealing himself as some kind of extremist libertarian. Um, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of strange things going on. It's just weird. People are uh, reacting very strangely in the, in the midst of this crisis, aren't they? Are you, are you see, you know, with your, with your spyglass on or looking into your crystal ball, like what, what is, um, What's in the offing here? What, 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 I mean, if Biden wins, presumably he will at this rate, you know, what are the opportunities? What are the risks? So my take on that is very similar, strikingly similar to what it was back in, uh, leading up to 2016, um, uh, under different circumstances, of course. And, um, I could say that I'm, I'm, I'm upset about this, but I'm also, it's always good to be in uh, nice to be in good company, but I heard Dave Sirota. Uh, Bernie strategist. And now um, uh, he uh, has a position in, with Jacobin, which I think is really great. Um, but uh, Sirota is a veteran journalist and, and uh, you know, close uh, thinker with Bernie Sanders and the rest. I heard him give a, a version of this um, somewhere. I can't remember recently, um, which is that the, the, the concern now, well, the, the first concern is that Trump needs to lose. <laughs> I mean, that's that we can't take that for granted. Um, we don't know. I mean, the polling is it could be, you know, Trump breaks the polling. I'd, people actually have to vote. The the systems have to work. Uh, there, there's so many things that we just can't. And so without, you know, um, engaging in any sort of fantastical um, arguments about lesser evilism, um, I just don't think that's on the table uh, right now in this the juncture of, of human history. And I think I just want to put that out there and just move on. I think we can move on <laughs> from from. Arguments about, you know, there's no difference between the Democrats and Republicans right now. Um, of course there is. That's fucking asinine. And I, I, I just I, I don't know. I just don't have time for arguments to the to the contrary. Um, it's accelerationism. It's barbaric. And and, and moreover, it's just not strategically sound for a democratic transition to socialism. Um, and I could argue that if I need to. But um, that's the starting point. Right. That's the starting point. Trump has to lose. Uh, hold your fucking nose and vote for Biden and then do everything you can do. Uh, to to build towards the social stop uh, transition and, and and those capacities that we were talking about that we desperately need to build. Uh, that being said, Sirota said uh, what I've been saying and a number of other people have been saying since 2015 is that the big the big concern is that this milk toast liberalism that's going to be uh, put in uh, you know uh, ushered in by Biden, um, who's going to immediately cozy up to the banks, going to immediately cozy up to the stakeholders in the in the uh, in the healthcare industry. Um, just as, as they did under Obama. Um, and, and, and it's not going to radically, uh, address any of the structural, um, inadequacies of our current system. Uh, 
And, and so, you know, of course, Sirota didn't put it that way because he's not a Marxist, or at least not overtly anyway, like I am. But uh, then the fear is that um, the forces of the far right are, are able to capitalize on liberalism's inability to defend itself and keep um, maintain legitimation across broad society because that's what you're seeing right now this QAnon shit and this conspiratorial crap and the Trump wave. Um, it's that 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 uh, mainstream liberal society has has lost the ability to to legitimate itself. Um, uh, it doesn't even try anymore. I mean, look at SNL. SNL's uh, <laughs> death, uh, the, the death cringe. of parody in this yeah, country. It is, wasn't great before. It wasn't great before, now. but you know, I was watching uh, a couple of things they've done lately. Um, the death of parody should tell you nothing more than like the, the mainstream sort of cultural tastemakers have given up on, mm-hmm. on, the, on the idea of like legitimating and justifying itself to a broader kind of heterogeneous population. And they're just playing to, to, a, to, to a niche. Um, and uh, so what, what happens if you find yourself outside of that niche? Well, you know, you, you think that um, there's a cabal of uh, mostly Catholic and some Jewish uh, child molesters uh, in Washington um, that are devil worshipers, um, you know, working to <laughs> to upend uh, the, the everyday man, um, along with other Nazi and racist sort of misogynist, uh, you know, uh, conspiratorialism. Um that's what you think, and and we're that that's mm. the utter collapse of society, and and um and the far right will will gain in that in that uh, place. It's another thing that um a number of people have been writing about lately. Daniel Marins of Huffington Post, uh, right. politic on the politics beat, good friend of mine, friend of the show as well. Um, good guy yeah. has written about this now. That the problem is that Democrats go go harder. The mainstream establishment Democrats go harder against um left challengers than they do against Republicans. And that so long as that's the case, so long as that, um, you know, they will um, uh, rally all of their donor dollars and all of their resources um, in, the, in, in the political economy and in society and um, the media. And they'll rally against uh, left wing challengers, staving off the only answer to this far right upsurge in the Biden era. Um, we're in trouble. And, um, and and this is, again, why, like. Speaking to the left, trying to bring a left into existence that does not yet exist, but what must exist if we are to stave off that outcome is more critical now than ever. And, um, you know, this conversation has given me a lot to, 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 to think about and, and I'm, I'm not, I didn't prepare any remarks for this, this chat, but it's helping me sort of formulate thoughts in, in action, um, and in, in the moment. And, and it's making me sort of realize like, God damn it, we need to get back to the basics in terms of calling right. forth, calling forth that left and shaking, uh, we know ourselves loose. Um, here's the analysis, which, which, which sort of means that, that yeah. we're still kind of fighting. I mean, I, I guess, because I guess the question for me, maybe for a lot of listeners is, you know, uh, I think I thought, I, I think we knew what we were doing from Bernie campaign one to Bernie campaign two. Um, and I think we were beginning to have a very productive conversation. People like Micah uh, Utrecht and, and Megan Day with their after Bernie book, beyond Bernie book, uh, I think it's called, um, you know, various conversations about clean breaks, dirty breaks, that kind of thing. Uh, I've heard you yourself sort of just in the context of this conversation, talk about the importance of staying focused on that project of, of building um, a socialist party, 
of course, we don't. We're not so naive as to think that we can build that party from scratch. Um, so many of us do embrace the, the the so-called dirty break strategy, where we build it kind of uh, like a caterpillar um, with a, a chrysalis. Uh, we build it within the shell of another party. We build it within the Democrats, and until such times it's ready. And uh, there, there are there are Trotskyist friends of mine who will you know, obviously object to, to that uh, strategy for, for various good faith reasons. Um, I disagree with them. I think you disagree with them too. Um, but uh, it's it, um, given that that conversation is, is muddled now by this prospect of um, a state capitalist project where, where some of the battle lines are being redrawn by capital itself. Um, it seems that uh, perhaps some of the demands that we have been pursuing are going to have to be updated. And, I, and I'm not sure how that happens or how that plays out. But in, in, a, in again, I cited the Irish example uh, a few moments ago where, um, it, you know, at, at, you're seeing a massive government investment strategy, um, the biggest in the country's history, as far as I'm aware. Um, you know, it, it's going to be very hard to know what the left does beyond that, because, of course, the caveat is there that, you know, eventually we do get beyond coronavirus. Eventually, this debt will be called. Interest rates are low today, but it could well be that austerity is going to come back with a bang, um, you know, in, in a few years time mm-hmm. uh, when oh, yeah. when the debt gets called. There are, there are already so, increasing the runway for it. I mean, at, uh, at the highest <laughs> levels. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just I wanted to put that out there because I'm not sure if this is something you've thought about. Um, you know, Yanis Varoufakis uh, recently enough uh, in a couple of different interviews this summer, I heard him sort of talk about how, in a sense, what we're seeing today is really kind of a manifestation not just of coronavirus but of the advent of quantitative easing in 2008, and we were on a sort of a time delay ever since then. You know that 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 we've seen the separation of the economy from the productive economy and the financial economy, they sort of become two separate realms. Probably people have been arguing that for longer than a much longer time. But, um, you know, um, it, 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 it does uh, bring it home when you start to see, you know, government largesse being used to bail out major corporations uh, with very little penalties being attached to uh, you know, what they do with their money in terms of like, whether they want to give it as bonuses to CEOs or whether they yep. want to use it for stock buybacks. Um, the, you know, the Fed, uh, the Fed jumping in and skipping the middleman and just, uh, just basically just yes, exactly. selling Great. bonds yeah. to, or buying bonds rather of, of indebted, uh, uh, you know, corporations, firms, this is unprecedented and it's happening right under our noses in the midst of this crisis. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, we, we I, I'm curious how that changes the strategic yeah, equation. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what, what new problems does it potentially create? Um, you know, it, it, because it could well be that, um, you know, maybe we win, <laughs> maybe we do yeah. gain power, but what we inherit is something like what Syriza inherited, you know, yeah, absolutely. A, 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 a rather less than ideal, mm-hmm. um, um, beginning yeah. uh, to, I think to what was supposed to be a, a wonderful chapter in history. The more, the more we talk, the more I realize that I feel like uh, maybe the, the root of my exasperation is that I'm starting to realize that we are right back in 2016, 17 all over again, except, except 
on different grounds, on different foundations. And, and in, in some ways, we're, we're more um, advanced and more mature in our perspective. We're further along. And so many people have direct uh, hands-on experience in the political struggle and understanding of the world uh, around us. They've made their mistakes. They're higher along on the learning curve. Um, but, uh, but, uh, there's a, there's a kind of, um, there's a kind of institutionalization that happens that, that spawns a lack of creativity and, uh, iconoclasm, dare I say iconoclasm that was, uh, really in the, in the, in, the, in play in 2017. And I thought about this and, and I'm, I don't know, you, you're probably not asking for inside baseball criticism about DSA and the state of American politics. We're talking about, you know, larger global political economic phenomenon as well. But uh, I thought about this and, you know, um, the trajectory of the American left, surprise, surprise, and really the global left has surprise, surprise, has followed uh, Bernie Sanders. I mean, we're just tailing Bernie Sanders. All right. I mean, in 2017, we were all like iconoclasts on the one hand, but system builders on the other hand, where we we, we were smashing the sort of, um, you know, the existing, uh, you know, progressive and, and democratic socialist kind of uh, institutions and messages and, and certainly smashing the liberal suppositions about what what politics is and what it could do and what it looks like. Um, but so we are iconoclastic, but also system builders in terms of, you know, we had we had uh, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people across the world going in and, and building institutions and parties and other apparatuses and starting unions and DSA and, um, and, and it's a name, just a few and labor, you know, people were, uh, activists were, were rushing into labor and, and, and having to take on the, the responsibility of, of doing that kind of stuff. Um, and so they were iconoclasts and, and system builders. Bernie's second campaign called forth, um, called us, uh, really, <laughs> okay. We were all conscripted into, into being soldiers, weren't we? We were conscripted, and 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 for good. And, and it's, it was damn good that it happened because it it forced a lot of people to quote do the work, right? Uh, of 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 actually carrying some water and, and actually knocking on doors, actually organizing people, actually talking to norms about politics, actually understanding what what the, the kind of work that it would take to carry uh, forth a movement. Um, and so. We went from iconoclasts to system builders to soldiers. And um, my concern is that we have the same demands upon us uh, as happened in 2016-17, which is going to require uh, that that same mix of iconoclasm and system building. Um, but half the left is uh, sort of uh, doomed to just being playing soldier and continuing to do the same fucking thing we've done all along that hasn't produced any results. And the other half of the left has, uh, like we said, um, imagine themselves um, to be on on uh, the only uh, seaworthy vessel in a, in a fleet of sinking ships. Uh, whereas in reality, they're burning right alongside us on, a, on a, an increasingly yeah. overheating and burning, burning um, and immiserated and, and at this point diseased planet. Um, and so yeah. and so yeah. that, that, that's what brings me um, – to despair. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's the element of despair for me is that I'm seeing, you know, and, and why, why is that? Because what is the left? If the left was, um, decisively academic, academically oriented in the 1980s and nineties and then to the two thousands, unfortunately it's now this Nick, it's this, yeah. what we're yeah. doing right now. This is what the left is. It's podcasts, <laughs> podcasts, it's Jacob. <laughs> Yeah, it's it it's DSA chapters, yeah. but not really the you know, the work necessarily or the members, but like the sort of big picture yeah. sort of ideas of what DSA is, even though that's rarely debated yeah. or you know democratically determined in any meaningful way. 
Um, and so it's this, like we have created this thing that is now kind of like a stand in for, for real activity, which is like, you know, I don't know, like a handful of really well, uh, you know, um, um, well developed with the, you know, I don't know, all Chapo's armies couldn't stave off the worst effect of the COVID crisis, right? Surprise, surprise. Um, we don't have any meaningful coordination or capacities at the level of production, at the level of societal organization. Um, and so we just recede in a moment of crisis. We have zero meaningful capacities in that respect, which is, which is what leads me to despair because as, as, as heroic as, as DSA's efforts in many chapters yeah. have been, um, they are just not suited to, to taking up the challenge that's, that's in front of us. And, and they know that. I mean, that's the thing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to prefigure and imagine the pushback. It's like, Adam, we fucking know that. All right. Yeah. Let's do something different. But that's the problem yeah. of, of being a soldier, isn't it? Because you do something different. You have to, you have to sort of give up the, the strength and the, and the positions that you've, you've gained thus far, which at that point seems – so there's, there's a there's, – there, again, there's that kind of um, – uh, that iron law of oligarchy, if you will, that kind of iron cage of bureaucracy or, or that – the logic of defending the institution because it exists – it's the inertia. The inertia. Effect, There's an inertia you know, yeah. uh, of 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 institution building, and so again, and which is understandable because totally we just learned how to do this. Yeah, totally understandable. We only I've just got there. this thing up and running. I've been there, and you you put your blood yeah. and sweat and tears, your whole heart and soul into building this formation. Why would you just let it go in favor of trying to do something else? Um, and I don't yeah. want to be an idealist about that either, because you have to build with the resources that you that you already have at your disposal. So I'm not talking about, you know, just radically shifting and doing something completely different overnight. But but I just I, I don't know that I'm seeing those conversations. What I am seeing is like, well, we just got to do whatever we can. Keep our heads down. Keep being good little soldier boys and girls and, and others and and, um, and 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 keep doing the work and and, and dot, dot, dot. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, one half, half the left doesn't have any fucking idea where those, where those, those dot, dot, dots lead. Uh, and and Mm. the other half of the left is again, like pointing fingers without remembering that the other three are pointing right back at them. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really, I, 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 I like that turn of phrase. That's, um, that's helpful. Um, but, but, uh, so look, um, yeah, utterly devastating at the same time, isn't it? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you're, you're good at that. Um, <laughs> coming up with those. Um, so look, uh, we we're we're about to go along again on, on, on the second part of this, and I'm sure you have a life you need to get on with there, but Hey, um, before we close up, I, the last question I wanted to ask, uh, is for people who maybe have listened to this, but haven't heard your show. There's a lot of back episodes out there and, uh, I'm sure it could be rather daunting for them to, to, to contemplate going through all of them. So, um, are there particular highlights, uh, in your, in your catalog and your back episode catalog that you would sort of encourage people to go and check out if they wanted to sort of get, uh, distillations of, of, of what DPS is all about. And, um, I also just really wanted to ask, uh, here, um, do you think, uh, Bashar al-Assad will ever make a reappearance on your show? <laughs> Uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm a noted, uh, Assadist, of course. Um, right. Which, which, uh, which, which is funny because, um, the people, I mean, I thought it was just cool that he called up that time and uh, left you that voice message. Look, like I I don't approve of his policies. I think he's, he's an autocrat, uh, for sure. Um, I don't believe in state, I don't believe that the American state should uh, go in and collapse other sovereign nations and, and, and produce failed states. 
but he and I get together. We play cribbage sometimes. Mm. Um, he's a, online, he's a right? hell of a, yeah, online, socially distanced, of course. What are we monsters? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and he's a hell of a competitor in that cribbage. I tell you, um, he is, but, <laughs> but luckily he doesn't have too much going on right now. I, no, nothing to handle at all whatsoever. Um, yeah, I think, uh, it, that, that, uh, though, that, that, uh, all jokes aside, the, um, the, um, sort of Syria, you know, uh, series that I ran very, very early on in the show is just indicative of the trajectory. Like, like, you know, I mean the people, some of the people, uh, and I've named names in other contexts and I'm not afraid to name names, but, uh, some of the people that I had on, uh, who, who I was defending their position on Syria, like I've since run in, run up against. Right. And now, you know, it's like we're, we find ourselves on the other side of, of, of the barricades and it's just kind of nuts. It's nutty how, how the left has, sort of transformed and, and, and changed itself and, um, stakes become increasingly obfuscated and, um, yeah, whatever. I'll just fucking say it at this point. We're pretty deep into the second part of this. This is like, you know, Ben Norton and Max Blumenthal have all, but just called me a social fascist or whatever the fuck that means. I mean, I, you know, and so it's just, it's just wild looking back on the back catalog. It's almost too painful in some instances really to, to reflect on like just the silliness that has ensued, um, and the course of like just trying to have some good debates and and um, yeah. discuss amongst ourselves like what what we should do and what we should think. Again, that's that kind of hyper um, that hot house environment that that subculture and the culture wars produce. It's this um, mm. uh, uh, you know hyper. And this is again that goes back to the theme of um, the the basement of the vampire's castle again in some ways because you know like. T- to make the observation you just made isn't, I, I don't think anyway, you know, just throwing shit around. It's, it's not, um, it, it's, it's not coming from a kind of a perspective of trying to just simply demean people. It's, it's to recognize that, uh, again, this, uh, all pervasive symptom of powerlessness, uh, that seems to motivate even the best of us, even me, like I, I, I call this out on other people, but I know I do it too sometimes. And yeah. I, and I usually don't realize it until a day or two later. And I go like, you know, you could have handled that better. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, Same. um, I, uh, you know, the, the, with the, the Blumenthal and Norton, uh, the, the two individuals you just mentioned, I mean, um, there was an epic moment where they did this podcast or whatever, right after the implosion of the Bernie campaign this year and, and just like went off on one and half of it, I just thought was, here's the thing is here's why I'm saying it's not shit throwing to call that out. Like I, those are two individuals I actually have profound respect for, like in many ways, like they, they're wrong on certain things and, and everyone does, you know, there's a long public record there. People can come to their own conclusions, but they're genuinely two people that I think have had good takes on a lot of stuff. Uh, I, I, I appreciate so much, for example, their continued attention to the plight of Julian Assange. Uh, that is a big black hole in the left right now where that topic should be. And, um, I have to, I doubt they ever listen to this show, but I, I do genuinely appreciate their contributions on that. And, um, Aaron Mate is a, I, I'm a longtime fan of his work, for example. And, and he, if, if someone like him has, uh, you know, a commitment to to working with those two individuals on on their project gray zone whatever um you know i i i have to take that as an endorsement uh, of, of the highest caliber and i appreciate that but um you know i i guess what i'm just trying to say is like this 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 mindset we're, we're all vulnerable to it 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 it, it um 
we can all go off on one some days and yeah. just, you know, maybe, maybe it's important to take a breath first. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I just remember like where, where we all suck, right? We all, we all <laughs> suck at this. Um, yeah. who, who yeah. who's more successful than anyone else at this right now? I mean, I think nobody, we don't know. I don't know. And, and, and you don't know, and they don't know. And, and my biggest haters don't know. And my biggest supporters don't know. And, um, and, and we're all just sort of like grappling in the dark. I've, I've been more, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the record of the show. I haven't been right all the time. And there's some things, some episodes and some human beings that I wish I could take back. <laughs> there's some trajectories <laughs> of, of former co-hosts yeah. of mine and, uh, former listeners of mine that like I, that, that caused me a great deal of just like, uh, pain and, and sadness about like, and sad, really sadness. You know, I don't hate any of these people. Uh, it just makes me sad. It makes me sad that, uh, that, uh, all of the, you know, I don't know. I look at the, I don't know. I'm just a fucking romantic, romantic guy. And I look at all, you know, yeah, maybe. I, I thought that we could spawn this thing, this, you know, this, this new left agenda and we'd rally around it and we could really influence people. And, um, but then I sort of realized that that's not really what this is about. This is about and the left, the, the quote left that I have explained has become very good at one thing. And that is, uh, getting people, um, new podcast and journalism gigs in ways that do a very bad job at paying their bills. Um, and little else. That's fair enough. Um, and, yeah. and we were good at that. And, you know, it's like, I, I do, you know, I'm, we're at the very tail end of this and only the faithful will still be paying attention. But like I do, you know, and, and, and part of the reason why I took this hiatus for DPS was that I just sort of looked around and you know, every week, I mean, in the midst of fucking Corona crisis, when the left has completely receded, um, when Bernie Sanders has disappeared and, and we're all sort of in a state of despair, there's just like every other week, there's another big podcast that starts up just sort of doing the same fucking thing that everybody else is doing is having the big names on like, how many times can we have Naomi Klein on our, I'm sorry, that sounded really pointed. Um, no, 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 it's fine. Um, I, I understand know, I mean, where you're coming and, and, from. And, and I don't, and again, you know, I, I, that, that sounded like an attack on Grace Blakely. It, it's not at all. It's not personal. I love Grace. Uh, she's obviously a friend of mine and uh, Lord knows a friend of DPS and, uh, but but yeah. really though, and, and, and I, I went after Jacobin in a tweet in a way that you know I, I stand for Jacobin more than anybody. But but at the same time, like if I can't if I can't be critical of Jacobin, like who the fuck can right? Because yeah. you know they they have so much power and so much influence, and and they deserve it. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I say they, mm -hmm. it's hard to even pin down who the fuck am I talking about? Am I talking about Bascar? Am I talking about uh, Micah? Am I talking about Dan Denver over at the Dig? Am I talking about Henwood? Am I talking yeah, about I the various people works. who write for them, who disagree with everybody mm -hmm. that I just mentioned? Like it's, it's a heterogeneous bunch, but one thing that, you yes, know, it is. It's a, it's a very diverse. Yeah. One thing that we, we really need to think seriously about is like institutions have their own internal, um, logic that, that can become really irrational. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, we've gotten good at this part, um, we just have to keep asking ourselves what, what, what happens next. And this has happened in DSA. You've got people carving out little fiefdoms for themselves that where they go unchallenged mm. in their little caucuses, mm. uh, unchallenged by the popular will or, or, or of, of the membership or, or even reality unchallenged by reality, right? Right. By the, the real exigencies of the demands of, of, of the, of the society as it exists right now. And they just sort of have their own little, they've created their own little, um, ships and bottles, their own little, um, uh, you know, miniature fiefdoms where they can play out their political will and fantasy among like-minded people. And I'm sure that feels good and it might feel safe and important, but like, again, like we can't just do that. And, and, um, I don't know. No, it has to come back. I think Adam to that thing that I think, you know, 
was that the core of your your vision in the in the in as we discussed in the in the part one of the show which is the socialism for ordinary ass people yeah. um yeah. meeting people where they are uh constantly daily reminding ourselves not to be purists even if we think we have the right answers i know like i'm the world's worst for this uh you know just you know trying even with academics who who are a much harder proposition in many respects <laughs> than than ordinary yeah. normies but you know like just um trying to remember it's not about us you know it's not it's not personal to us it's it's about something that's bigger yeah and um and that there's a right and a wrong way to go around about this um it might not be uh, again saying this very self-consciously it might not be about an endless proliferation of podcasts although in the same breath let a thousand podcasts bloom but you know um i you know I, we, i'd we, prefer uh, the, the the thousand podcasts come together and, and coordinate and self and self-organize amongst each other so that we can decide together like how to best <laughs> get an income out of our it. <laughs> service i mean really i mean this is what's been yeah. just utterly disappointing to me is that you know when i started this i imagined that we would all sort of come together under some umbrella and a cabal and i i, I imagined with a, a recent guest of dps is all i'll say he is india he he or she or uh other uh them they them might okay. be india so yeah. hey, i ruined it nick damn it uh uh but uh, you know, <laughs> we we over beers once imagined a, a massively centralized and democratic dsa uh, headquarters which may or may not be in a, a major uh, eastern seaboard city and just saying uh, not new york uh, it's got five okay. stories um it's paid for by uh, union dues and, and membership uh, dues because we're obviously going to be directly affiliated with with major trade unions in such in such a way that say the uh, you know labor was in the UK in its early days, um, and 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 on the third you know every floor had a perceived a, 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 a function you know and in terms of the party and organizing various capacities but like the third or fourth floor right would be dedicated to socialist media to the socialist media mm. ecosystem. Right. And it would mm, be like, mm, you know, mm. um, in, in their uh, their assignment, not mine, uh, it would be like Chapo, of course, and like, you know, and, and dead pundits and like all the Jacobin podcasts and the, the late Michael Brooks and, you know, a couple others uh, who, who would come together under that umbrella uh, with DSA and, and union largesse and resources and come together to combine our forces and our energies and our strength to put out and promote the, 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 the politics of the working class movement in the United States. This is the kind of vision like and we could have we could do this, Nick, tomorrow. We could fucking yeah. do this tomorrow. And mm -hmm. instead, we fight amongst ourselves, like whether overtly or covertly, for uh, guests and listeners and Patreon dollars. Yeah, and and it's just yeah, been, it's, it's weird. It's, it's that 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 actually is a really good point. The 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 flaw in the Patreon. I mean, because obviously Patreon yeah. was amazing as a phenomena in the first few years of this because it it allowed a lot of these operations to get a foothold to to get payment for what they were doing uh which is necessary in order got to got five chapos insanely rich <laughs> yeah, well yeah it did but that was necessary i mean that, yeah, it was i'm it was willing to like uh, they smoke, it was necessary they smoke a lot better weed now i'm sure and i'm more than a little jealous about it but i'm happy for them but at the same time <laughs> like we're good materialists and we're marxists and we have to we understand that you know political economy drives the dynamics of things and what how we haven't uh, sunk our teeth deeper in the in the exigencies and conting, you know, contingencies whatever of uh contradictions of of the patreon uh, socialist media economy i don't know i don't know how we have somehow managed to miss that 
Um, and, and okay, I, I, I should probably cut it there, but I'm going to indulge myself and uh, give myself the prerogative of one fucking last question. Just want to, what is the, um, if I were to sort of like put you in a corner of a gun at your head here, like if you were um, a rank and file, I don't know, say DSA member or some other group, and you were looking for the kind of chapter and verse Bible of how to be that foot soldier, like, what do I advocate for? Like, what are my, what, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn to be a rock climber here. You know, I've never climbed a cliff before. I've gone hill walking before, but I've never climbed a, a, a cliff. Like I, I know I have to work on my personal fitness. I know I've got to be able to do pull-ups. I know I've got to figure out how to navigate rocks and identify footholds that, are corroded and maybe dangerous for me. Like, so I love this metaphor of the rock climber, you know, I was using it the other day. What sources, what can I turn to, to teach myself how to be that foot soldier? Cause that foot soldier has to do this incredible thing with very little preparation, very little knowledge. Um, I, I need to know a whole lot of history. Uh, I, 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 there's a lot of potential false seductions going to be encountered along the way here. I could become a 1917 fetishist. I could become a 1968 fetishist. I, you know, I, I, I could become an Occupy fetishist. How do I know to avoid those traps? What can I turn to? Are there books? Are there, is there a literature? <laughs> Apart from your podcast. There's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm being, I mean, I genuinely, uh, I, I did, yeah. I, 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 I absolutely, you know, intentionally and consciously built DPS as a roadmap, not only for others to follow, but for myself as a, as a, almost like a trail of breadcrumbs. Um, and, and so the only thing I could do is, 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 is along the way to turn to a series of, debates and discussions that I took on in earnest because I felt they were important for that very process to try to, to try to, uh, as cautionary tales, as theoretical sort of, uh, guidelines. Um, I mean, I, I talk about state theory as a roadmap, right. As, as a way of, there is no roadmap, but as a way of like sort of, uh, tracing the outlines, the fault lines of, of, and the necessities of, of like, okay, so what does building capacity mean? Well, that's going to depend on the terrain that you're working in and the class uh, stratification. Who's going to be on your side? Who's not on your side? Well, that depends on uh, the state theoretical orientation of, of any concrete, you know, conjuncture, a historical conjuncture. Um, and so you got to be able to read that stuff. That being said, everybody who who is in agreement with me on state theory is not in agreement on things like anti-essentialism. And I've come to loggerheads with some of them because of that. And so like so it's a it's a multifaceted approach, not just state theory in terms of having the right roadmap, but also sort of understanding um the importance of not tailing liberal, you know, lib- and we haven't, we haven't talked about black lives matter enough and Lord knows that's going to open up a, yeah. another can of worms that would require a, a part three, which, you know, I'm down for, but we, we may not have the stamina. Uh, maybe, nor- maybe in a, nor- maybe in a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah nor the <laughs> listeners. Um, look like I, I haven't done this in, a, in about a month. And so my, my energy levels are much higher for this kind of thing uh, than I, I missed it more than I thought I did. Uh, oh, good. That's good to hear. <laughs> that's to say that, you know, and so like, so we, we, uh, you know, um, read everything that Adolf Reed has ever written. That's number one. Um, because he number is one. an old, uh, school, uh, socialist, uh, from the days when this was not theoretical, this was not uh, purely academic, that, that people were doing real shit in the workers movement and, but thinking about it very seriously and intellectually, um, uh, you know, I would go back to, um, 
the formation of the, the U.S. labor, the attempts, the aborted formation of the, the U.S. Labor Party. And look at the, mm-hmm. the wins and losses there. Mark Dudzik has written a lot about this. All um, right. Yeah. I would um, – you know, there are all kinds of historical allegories you could point to. The trade union movement in the 1970s. Um, you know, again, the second international, that's some of the second internationalist kind of waves in 1920s. Right. But I really do feel like, you know, the reason why I lean so much on Leo Panitch is, is my sort of master narrative for kind of how to understand the recent phenomenon and global political economic fault lines, shifts in neoliberal globalization and the internationalization of the state and state theory and like, fuck the, the importance of building capacities inside and outside the state and all of these like kind of like large macro sort of uh, roadmaps and signposts that they place uh, uh, for us is that like we really are in uncharted uncharted territories and uh, uh, territory and, and we haven't even talked about like the contradictions of neoliberal uh, like globalization um, and 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 the the the, the um, you know the the challenges presented to like the working class and, and trade unions and, and to, to, to overcome that. Right. Um, and so study failure, study the failure yeah. of Greece, study the failure of Corbyn and Corbynism um, and that movement, study the failure of, of Bernie Sanders uh, to, to sort of lay a foot foothold. And I don't mean any of those people, they didn't capitulate. Don't study capitulation. Don't study these sort of heroic voluntarist narratives of people just not having the stomach to go far enough uh, study the structural and in, in, uh, structural inadequacies and the, the failures to develop capacities um, in the mm. face of the, the real challenges that exist in people's lives um, and stop cosplaying, mm. stop building ships and bottles and start thinking about how we can reach every every motherfucker in this society to think more seriously about uh, the things that they are forced to do on a material level every single day just to stay alive and keep keep inhaling oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide. Um, and, and, and that's what matters. And the, the kind of culture warrior shit, um, the race reductionism, the, um, uh, uh, uh sort of, uh, I, I just want to say the aestheticization of politics that on the one yeah. hand is kind of interesting. Like, you know, Gen Z and millennials have like high has, have wholly aestheticized politics in a way that like, I'm not sure you can be like cool anymore and still be a Republican. Like that's good, right? That's, that's good, right? Like that we, yeah. we're shifting the hegemonic kind of cultural understanding of, of, of self in the world and society in the direction of like a militant liberalism. Um, yeah. but we ourselves can't be seduced by that into thinking that that's how you, you, you win social change. We can't, um, you know, fall, uh, uh, die on the rock, rocky shores of, of, um, of culture wars when we just gotta, we just gotta get enough people on board to change material society. And then we got to trust that the, the, the radical politics will flow therefrom. We have to prioritize. Um, the left has no tolerance for, for, for making priorities in this world. Um, and, and you've got to escape the moralism to do it. Um, Jesus, the more I'm talking, the more I just feel like I'm I'm, I'm being redundant and, and um, repeating myself with respect to uh, no, I th- episodes. No, I think that what, was a really that yeah. was a great note to to to, to wrap up on. Um, so, um, Adam Proctor, yeah. the deadest pundit, thank you for coming. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, the most dead pundit, and um, I don't know, maybe that's an episode title right there. Yeah, um, yeah. I've, I've been trying to figure that one out, actually, what to call this. The, the deadest <laughs> but, pundit. Uh, yeah. The deadest pundit. Um, thanks so much for coming on. It's a real honor to have you on. Uh, I feel like we should do this more often, yeah. but 
you know, um, I uh, couldn't think of a better person to to have on right now to talk in this moment where we are so um, feeling so much uh, w without a compass, I think, um, not not quite knowing what the next steps are. Uh, it is, of course, a moment of defeat, but it's more than that. It's 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 become um, a moment of historical shift. And we do not know the new rules of the game yet. I think it's going to take uh, the kind of, as I said earlier on, um, you know, empathy for ordinary people. Uh, it's going to take that kind of attitude combined with a academic and intellectual rigor to figure out what those navigation points are. And so um, I want to thank you for staying with this and... Um, doing the thing that you do uh, so well. Um, you're an important voice out there and uh, I'm, I'm glad to see you still at it. So um, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you so much. This is always helpful. And I just not to be too like, uh, you know, um, too mushy and gushy about it. But I, you know, I, I, I do absolutely, I, I lean on people like you and others on the left. And I, I, I try to escape the kind of um, hyper, I, um, you know, um, individualism of, of the kind of Patreon industrial complex. And I always try to give as much credit as I can to others and recognize that like, we're all just, uh, we all, we need each other and we're standing on each other's shoulders yeah. and I stand on yours, Nick, as, as much as anybody. So I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, sir.